I'm Tommy Green. I'm the associate pastor here at Centerpoint. And this morning, we're going to kick off a new series entitled Hope. Inside this bulletin, you're going to find an insert with an outline on it entitled God is Good. And if you need a pen to fill in the blanks, take some notes as we go along. If you'll raise your hand, our ushers would love to come by and get you a pen. Friday, when the Supreme Court made this decision to change the definition of marriage in our culture, our senior pastor, John Schmidt, which is out today back, he'll be back next week, but he called me. We began to discuss the importance and the timeliness of the message in, this, in the series that we're in right now on hope. And matter of fact, John went on to post something on Facebook that I thought would be appropriate uh, to start out this series and start this message today. And this is what John said in this post. He says, this Sunday... We start a very timely new message series at Centerpoint entitled Hope. The idea is from Psalms 33. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice. For we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord. For our hope is in you alone. When we planned this series months ago, we had no idea how timely it would be. Be encouraged. Our hope is in the Lord not other people or our circumstances or our government. Here are a few more verses from Psalms 33. The Lord frustrates the plans of the nation and thwarts all their schemes, but the Lord's plan stands firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. What joy for the nations whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as his inheritance. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne he observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts so he understands everything they do. But the Lord watches over those who fear him, who, those who rely on his unfailing love. A Friday when five Supreme Court justices changed their view on marriage and changed the definition of marriage, I want you to understand something. God did not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the one who who gave us the institution of marriage and defined marriage itself, has not changed his definition of it. And because he has given us his word and he's written down his instructions and his definition in this word, we believe as Christians and as a church at Centerpoint that the Bible is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And because God has not changed and God's word has not changed, it means that we should not change our definition of it as well. We need to stand true and firm to what God says. I believe that it's, a, um, it's important because on Friday, us as Christians, we change from a subculture to a counterculture. We're now a, a group of people who are in, not in step with the rest of society. We look different, we believe different, and we act different. And can I tell you, with that, I believe, comes great hope. Because we, our hope is not in our government, our hope is not in our society, it's not in our president, it's not in our Supreme Court. Our hope is rooted in the truth that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can trust in Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Listen to what Isaiah 61 through 3 says about us being a counterculture. I love this. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. I believe if we will be a people that will say, God, send us your glory. Lord, let your glory rest upon us so that we can be the hope of the nations. Here's what I know. 
There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end of that is destruction. I believe that because some of the decisions that have been made, that people are rejoicing and think they have finally found freedom, but what they will find is it will not bring them the joy and the contentment and the peace that they need. And I'm scared that there are going to be many people that are hurt and broken. And we as a church have got to be ready to stand firm and true in who God is and declare his goodness to the nations and be willing to love and to support and to bring health to those that will be hurting. Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning as we come before you, Lord God, and we speak a, a, a start a series that was planned months ago, Lord, and it seems so fitting for just a time as this. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that, Lord God, that you would encourage us, that you would remind us who you are and how powerful you really are. So, Father, I just pray that um, you would speak boldly through me, that your word would come to life, and, Lord, the revelation and the realization of who you are would be so big in our hearts that we would run to you, and, Lord God, that we would cling to you, and, Lord, we would stand for you now more than we have ever stood before you in, in any other time since. So we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today we're going to talk about the character of God. And the first character of God that you have got to understand is that God is good. He is a good God and he is perfect. Matter of fact, point one on your outline states, our hope is rooted in the knowledge that God is good. Psalms 27, 13 seems very appropriate for today. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that's from the New American Standard Translation. I want to give you Tommy's translation of this scripture. Okay? I would have lost hope and been in despair if I wouldn't have believed that I would see God's goodness in my life, in my lifetime. That's what that scripture says. My hope is based and rooted on that I will see God's goodness in my life and in my lifetime. And here's a note for us to understand. It's important to believe that God is good and everything that is good comes from him. It's an important truth that we have to understand. A.W. Tozer, a great uh, preacher in in the early 1900s, um, said this statement, and I want you to read it. It's actually on the back of your outline under the uh, connect group questions on, on, re, on discuss the following quotes. It's the very first quote, and I want you to read it with me because I think it's a very important statement. It's very true. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most important fact about any man is not what he may say or do, but what he, deep in his heart, conceives God to be like. We tend by secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. The reason it's so important to have a right view and right understanding of God is because it affects everything about us. When I have a right view of God, I have a right relationship with God. I have a right relationship with people and I live my life out in the right way. That's why it's so important to have the foundational truths of who God is deep in our hearts. And I want to give you some truths this morning that I think are very important that you understand about God. Number one, I want you to write these down. These are not on your outline, but I think they're very important for you to write down. Write down. Number one, God is good. Number two, God is in control. And we discussed this in the last series on Daniel when John repeated over and over again 
God is in control. So you must know God is good. God is in control. And the third thing you must understand about God is that God is for us. And you can write your name there. God is for Tommy. God is for Bob. He is for Pam. God is good. God is in control. And God is for us. And those foundational truths about who God is, it affects the way that we relate to him, that we relate to each other, and the way that we live our lives. Um, so this morning, we want to spend the majority of our time talking about God is good. And what does it mean that God is good? Well, the first thing on your outline is that he is morally perfect. And he is, he is the only one who is morally perfect. And many times we have a hard time believing that God is good but it's because we've never seen anyone that was perfectly good. We never see anyone who is good all the time that is morally perfect in everything they do. And so it's sometimes our, we have this barrier in our minds, how can God be good when we don't see good around us? But it doesn't change the fact that he is good. Uh, Luke 18, Jesus replies this, as a certain ruler asked him, which is Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. We would not have a definition for the word good if there wasn't a God. You wouldn't know what was good and what was bad if there was not a God. He is the definition of that word. And when we understand that he is morally perfect and there is no wrongdoing and all of his ways are right and perfect, that's where we get the definition. When we see something good in this world, we know it's good because of God. Because he's our definition of good. And also another definition of, of good that I want to talk about about God this morning is that anything that is kind, generous, and benevolent is good and comes from God. James 1.17 states, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from us from the Father. Anything in this world that is kind, that is generous, that is benevolent, is a reflection of God in this world. God himself even associates his name with his goodness, which is the note on your outline. When Moses was going up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, uh, he asked God this crazy question. God, show me your glorious goodness. I want to see. I want to see what it means that you're good. And God told Moses, listen, I want you to go hide yourself in a rock, and I'm going to call out my name and I'm going to allow my goodness to pass before you. And this is what happens in Exodus 34, 5 through 6. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. Which I want you to write in the outline beside you. Yahweh, it means I am. And it says the Lord stood before Moses and says, I am. That's my name. Okay? Don't forget it. I am. Yahweh. And then the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out his name. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. So God shows up in front of Moses and says, you want to see my goodness? I'm going to show you my name. This is what he told Moses. I am the God of compassion. I am the God of mercy. I am slow to anger. I am filled with unfailing love, and I am faithfulness. That's the character of who God is. And we, it's not just one thing to know it. We have to believe it and understand it deep in our hearts. 
a foundational truth for us to be the people that God has called us to be. In the Hebrew culture, names were very significant. And names represented someone's character. And there are many names for God in the Bible that reflect a portion of his character and a, char- a part of his goodness. And some examples of, of the Hebrew name being important is, you know, Abra- God changed Abram's name to Abraham. Abram meant father. Abraham meant father of many. God changed Jacob's name from uh, supplanter or deceiver to one who has power with God. He changed it from Jacob to Israel because the, who his name was reflected who he was. Jesus, Jesus changed Simon's name from Simon to Peter, one who hears God to who is a rock because he understood that he was in upon Peter and the foundation, the revelation of Peter, that he would build his church. And so names are very important and very significant. And so this morning I want to share with you three names that God has given in his word. Uh, two, uh, some of them are names that God gives himself. Some of them are names that people give God because of his character and what he's done in their lives. And the first name I want to share with you this morning is Yahweh Ra, which means the Lord will shepherd me. And this is a name that was given by King David. And King David, by his nature or by his uh, occupation, was a shepherd himself. And he understood what it meant to be a shepherd. And this is what he says about God in Psalms 23. We read this all the time. And this morning we'll read out of the NLT to make it come really alive to us. What is it that David was saying about God? He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths and he brings honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemy. And you honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. What David knew about being a shepherd was that shepherds were loving and caring providers and protectors. And what he declared that God was is that, God, you are a loving, providing, caring protector and provider for me. Jesus himself uh, went on to reaffirm this truth about God as a shepherd when he talked in John 10 and he says that I am the good shepherd. And the reason I am the good shepherd is because I'm willing to lay down my life for my sheep. If you want to see what God is like and you want to understand his goodness, you must look to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the reflection and the representation of God's goodness on the earth. So if you want to know what God is like, look and see what Jesus is like. If you want to know the way God wants to treat you, look at the way that Jesus treats the people he was around. It's a very reflection. Matter of fact, his disciples had come to Jesus at one time and said, we want to see what the Father's like. And Jesus says, well, don't you know if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm a reflection of that. And how did Jesus treat the people around him? He was caring and kind. He was for them. He provided for them. He protected them. He laid down his life for them. He healed them. He set them free. He was for the people he was with. 
God is for us. And he loves us. And Jesus is the reflection of that in our life. And a life application for us this morning is that we can trust God to provide direction, protection, and comfort when we need it most. Whatever you're going through today, whatever circumstance and situation that is in front of you, you can trust that God knows the best path for your life. You can trust that He it can provide for you. You can trust that He will protect you. You can trust that He is for you. Listen to what Isaiah 48, 17 says. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good, what is good for you and leads you along the path that you should follow. We need to follow God in every area of our life. If we understand, we'll go back to this again, if we understand that God is good, God is in control, and God is for us, there's no reason that we shouldn't trust Him. There's no reason we shouldn't trust Him with every area of our life. Another name that represents God's character is a name that God gave Himself, and it's Yahweh Rapha, which is the Lord will heal. And then talking about Jesus, Isaiah prophesied, says, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. If you've got your pen, I want you to totally circle the word. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. See, the very nature and very character of God is that he's a healer. He loves to make broken things whole again. He loves to do that. It's part of his nature and part of his desire. Let me ask you a question here this morning. How many of you are broken people? Okay. How many of you know that we have a good God who wants to put us together? We do. Well, here's a life application for us. We should bring all of our physical, spiritual, and emotional hurts to him first. If God is good and he's the source of all goodness, in our life, then no matter what we're going through, we know whatever is broken in our life, whether it's our marriages, whether it's our relationships, whether it's our health or our finances, whatever we're going through in our life, if it's broken, we ought to come and bring it to the feet of Jesus and say, I'm broken, but I know that you're a healer and that you're able to put it back together. If we'll come to him first and we realize that he is the source of everything that is good, then what it allows us to do, it allows God to be God and to use doctors if he wants to. To use counselors if he needs to. To use whatever means necessary to put us back together. But we must understand that it all, he is the source of everything. That's why we bring all of our hurts, all of our pains, all of our sicknesses. Everything that we have, we run to him first. And we remind ourselves that. Luke 4, 8, Jesus talking about himself and talking about what God had told him to do. He says, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. See, Jesus' mission upon the earth wasn't just to pay for the penalty of our sins. It was also come and to be a healer to redeem us, to make us whole. That's what Jesus said when he opened up the book of Isaiah and he read it for the very first time. And everyone was in shock when he said, this is what God has called me to do. 
proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of the sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Jesus is still in the business of doing that today. I want to say that again. Jesus is still in the business of healing and making things right today. Since I have been here at Centerpoint, I've seen God heal so many people. I've seen marriages that were people had lost hope for and the counselors had said would never make it. They're alive and well and doing well today. That's Jesus being healer. I've seen people who were filled with anxiety, filled with fear and depression, be set free and made whole because they put their trust in Jesus. I've seen people with back issues and strokes and cancer and heart issues that doctors gave no chance and no hope for. They're alive and well today because they put their hope and their trust in Jesus. See, it's the very nature of God, the very nature of God to put things back together. So we need to bring all of our hurts, all of our pains back to him. Just a side note on that. I know of four people in this church that the doctor said there's no hope for and they'll be, they're, they're going to die. Two of them stay, had stage four cancer. One had a stroke and the other had heart failure. All four of them, the doctor said, give up hope. All four of them put their hope in Jesus and God did a miraculous, amazing healing in their life and they're alive and well today. Amen? It's amazing who our God is. Let me tell you another part of God's nature, the name that he also gave himself was Emmanuel. And it means God is with us. Isaiah 7, 14 uh, prophesies about Jesus. It says, The virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son. And we will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Jesus came to this earth and he lived out a life and he performed mighty miracles and did amazing things on the earth. But you know, when he was leaving this earth, he said, no, I came to earth as God with you, but I am not going to leave you as orphans and leave you alone. Right before Jesus is taken up, this is what he says in Matthew 28, 20. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus left his spirit, the very spirit of Christ himself, which is the reflection. Okay, if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. If you want to know what Jesus, if you, if you want to know what Jesus is like, look to the Holy Spirit. They're all God. They're all the same. They all have the same character of the goodness of God. The Holy Spirit now performs and does the works of Jesus in the lives and the hearts of the believers on the earth. And he's good and he does not leave us and he does not forsake us. Our life application for us is that we don't have to go through life alone or afraid. We don't have to go through life alone or afraid. You are never alone. And you do not have to fear what you're going through. You do not have to fear what lies around the next bend. Might not know what goes around the next bend, but I'll tell you what, I know who's going to go with me. I know who's going with me. It's my God. And I've seen this happen so many times in very difficult times where feel alone or feel abandoned. Uh, it happened to me when I was uh, probably 10 years ago when I lost my great uncle, which was much more like my grandfather, someone that I cared for and, and loved very dearly. And I was there when he passed away. And I'll never forget the hurt and the grief that I was going through and the disappointment. But can I tell you that 
I don't think I've ever experienced God's grace in his presence more in my life than the moment that I went through that. There was an overwhelming awareness that God was with us, that he was standing with us, that he was supporting us and comforting us and strengthening us. I can I tell you, I have the opportunity to do many funerals uh, throughout the years, and every time I, I, I'm with someone, I share them this concept that God is near to the brokenhearted. In Psalms, it says that God is near to the brokenhearted. And almost every time I share that, I have people that come up to me and go, you know what, this has been the hardest thing I've ever been through, but I have felt God and seen God more in this situation than I have in any other situation in my life. We can trust God to be with us no matter what we're going through. Joshua 1.9 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He is with us wherever we go. And that leads us to point two on our outline. And this is where the rubber meets the road. A lot of us understand and we've been taught from the time we were very little that God is good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. And we teach our children to sing, sing songs about that. But the rubber meets the road when hardship comes in our life. Do we really believe that God is who he says he is? Point two on your outline says that hope is based on the knowledge that God is good all the time. God is not wavered by our circumstances, by our society, by our government. He does not change. And it does not change his character or who he is. Hebrews 6, 1 through 18 through 19 says, God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. But what did God say about himself? I'm good. I'm slow to anger. I'm full of compassion. I'm full of faithfulness. I'm good. Well, God can't lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to, as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our soul. Here's our hope. We'll say it again. God is good. God is in control. And God is for us. Romans 8, 35 through 37 says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Can anything ever separate us from God's goodness in our life? Does it mean that he no longer loves us? He's no longer for us? He's no longer good to us if we have trouble or calamity? or are persecuted, or hungry, or desolate, or in danger, or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Jesus himself, who was the reflection of God's goodness in this world, makes this statement in John 16, 33. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Here's the very essence of goodness itself. Turns to his disciples, turns to you and me, and says, Hey, I just want to give you a heads up. You're going to go through difficult things. You're going to go through trouble. You're going to go through hardship. You're going to go through a culture who might not believe the same things that you do. But cheer up. I have not changed. I'm the one who have overcome the world. Place your trust and your hope in me and me alone. That's the God that we serve. I had to wrestle with this concept in my own life. About nine years ago, I've shared this story before in church, but about nine years ago, Shelly and I were in the process of adopting our daughter from Korea. And uh, about three months before our daughter came home, and we still had a large bill 
to pay for her coming home, the adoption process. We owed about $10,000, and that was a lot of money for us. And three months before she was to come home, in the same week, Shelly lost her job, unfortunate circumstances. Uh, I lost a a part-time job, and we lost half of our income in one week, which was not a lot of income to start with. And I was faced with this challenge. God, are you really good? God, are you really good? And when I was asking that question, I felt the Lord ask me, you're asking me that question. Here's the question I'm asking you. Are you going to trust that I'm good in the midst of this? Are you going to trust me even when it doesn't look right? Or are you going to trust me just because it's hard? And Shelly and I had to make a decision. And we begin to pray and we begin to declare, God, it doesn't matter what we go through. Your promises are true. Lord, you are faithful to your word. You have called us to adopt one of your daughters in a foreign country that needs help. And Lord, if you're going to do that, and if you've, you've uh, guided us to do that, then you're going to provide to do it. And we begin to declare the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That we would see God's goodness in our lifetime. And it was a test for us. And a life application for you and me is, In the midst of life's difficulties and disappointments, we must run to God, not away from God. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, you have a choice to do one of two things. You can run to God and trust Him, or you can run away from Him and trust your circumstances and trust your own abilities. But you can't stay the same. Your life's circumstances dictate that you make a choice. And our choice is that we have to trust that he is good in every situation, in every hardship that we face. Lamentations 3, 19 through 26 says, The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet. I want you to underword, circle, highlight the word yet. Because what that means is in spite of all of that, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord endures forever. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. We have to make a choice when we go through hard times. And we must choose to trust our God. Hebrews 4, 13 through 16 says this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. That's why we run to God. To find help when we need it, to find mercy when we need it, and to believe and declare his goodness to the land. Here's a note for us. God is so good that he even uses difficulties and disappointments to bring about good. I mean, think about that. Even the hardships that we go through, even the difficulties that are caused by sin, difficulties that are caused by other people, that are caused because we live in a fallen world, God could even take and use those things and turn them and use them for good. Listen to what Romans 8.28 says. 
For God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. Romans goes on to say, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strength of our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us his Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. During that time that Shelley and I went through uh, losing our half of our income in the midst of Lizzie coming home, God taught us some extremely important lessons. You know, it's one thing to know that God is a provider. Another name for God is Jehovah Jireh, that he's the God that provides. It's one thing to know that in your mind. It's another thing to walk through it and live through it. And now no longer do I know it in my head. I know it in my heart because I've seen God provide. Because can I tell you, through all that time that we went through, never once did we miss a bill. Never once did we go hungry. Never once did any of our needs go unmet. God provided supernaturally everything we needed, even the $10,000 to bring Lizzie home. He went above and beyond what I could even think or imagine. And you know what? Now my faith no longer rests in the knowledge that he's good. Now I know that he's good. See, God used something very difficult to work a lesson in me and to produce faith in my heart. You know, God taught Joseph the same thing. Many of you know the story of Joseph. I think it's the reflection of of the truth of this story more than anything else is that Joseph had a dream. He went through some very difficult things to see that dream come true. His brothers put him in a pit to die and said, hey, that's not good, so we're going to sell you into slavery. Gets sold into slavery, goes to work for a guy and finds favor with him, becomes the head over all the guy's estate until he's falsely accused of sleeping with a man's wife and he's thrown in prison. Pretty difficult situation. In the midst of prison, God teaches him organizational skills and all of a sudden he begins to be the the highest prisoner in in the whole prison and he begins to be over all the prisoners. And one day, two of the king's men, they're thrown into prison, have a dream. He interprets the dream. And one guy, he says, hey, sorry, dude, you're going to lose your head. Not good. The other guy, he tells the guy, hey, you're going to find favor with the king again. But when you find favor with the king again, please remember me because I'm still here in prison. Well, it happens just like, just like Joseph said. Joseph, uh, the, the guy goes back to work for the king, and guess what he does? He forgets about Joseph. Disappointment, hardship, all throughout his life. And one day, the king has a dream, and he can't interpret it. And the guy that's working for him says, hey, I know a man that can interpret your dream, and he remembers Joseph, brings him back into the palace, and Joseph interprets the dream, and it's right on the money. And the king says, I'm going to make you the second most important person in all of Egypt. I want you to organize this food program, and because of that, you're going to save many people's lives. And that was the dream that God had given him. But before he went into fulfillment of that, He had to go through a lot of testing, a lot of shaping, a lot of rearranging of his character through the hard things he went through. And one day his brothers come back and he's face to face with the same people who had thrown him in a pit to a die and the same people who said, hey, we're going to sell you into slavery. And he comes face to face with them. In Genesis 50, 20, this is what it says. He faces them and this is what he tells them. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. 
He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. What you meant for evil, God turned around and used it for good. If God could do it in Joseph's life, he can do it in our lives. And the last, last life application I have this morning is, Lord, what David said, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. My only hope is in you. As we must not fear what goes on around us, what goes on in our society, what goes on in our culture, our hope, we got to keep placing in the truth that God is good, God is in control, and that God is for us. Will you pray with me? Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we declare that you are good all the time. All the time. Lord, no matter what we face today, no matter what we're going through, Lord, we can put our trust in you, knowing that you can work all of these situations out for your good. If we trust you, if we trust you, if we believe that you are who you say that you are. So, Lord, this morning, I just, uh, that's what I want to declare. I want to shout it from the rooftops. Our God has not changed. Our God is not shaken. He is not scared. He is not fearful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is good. He is good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.